I love the book of Ephesians. I love chapter 1 in Ephesians. I love beginning in verse 3. Would you look there with me, please? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. It's interesting. Paul had spent two years with these Ephesian Christians. Based on Acts chapter 19, verse 10, he knew them well. He had spent two years with them. He loved them dearly and deeply. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is establishing that these Ephesian Gentile believers, not just the Jewish believers, were in fact included in God's plan of redemption from eternity past. That's why he spends so much time listing the privileges that are ours in Christ Jesus. Not just the Jewish believers, but the Gentile believers. Privileges that belong to every saint, whether Jew or Gentile. And I'll say this to us today in our context. Privileges that belong to every saint, every Christian, regardless of your background, regardless of your pedigree, regardless of where you came from or where you didn't come from. Regardless of how you were raised or how you weren't raised. If you're in Christ today, if you're a child of God this morning, you have these privileges that Paul is listing right here. It's not just what we would call some uh, first class Christians. Oh friend, there are no second class Christians. If you're his child, you're a believer. You are a recipient of every single one of these privileges. That's why he says, notice what he said. He says in verse 4, we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. You've been chosen. He says in verse 5 that we've been predestined. uh, He's predestined us to the adoption of children. He says in verse 3 that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, according to, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 5. Now look at our text, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted. There's the word. Accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We've been chosen, verse 4. We've been privileged. We, we, we have blessings, uh, as spiritual blessings in heavenly places, verse 3. We've been adopted as children, verse 5. In verse 7, we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In verse 6, he says that He has made us accepted in the Beloved. I want you to notice with me, ladies and gentlemen, let's just focus and talk about this morning that one word, accepted. 
you may be here today and you don't feel accepted by anyone else, I can tell you right now that if you're in Christ Jesus, you are accepted in Him. You may have a sense of rejection and you may battle rejection and you may battle that in your life, but I want you to understand, even if you battle that in this physical life, when it comes to human relationships, I want you to understand, like Paul this morning wanted the Ephesian Christians to understand, God wants us to understand our position and privileges in Jesus Christ today. You're not a spiritual castaway. You're not a spiritual second-class Christian. You are accepted in Him if you are in Christ Jesus. First of all, we understand that our acceptance is all made possible by the work and merit of Jesus alone. Verse 6, he's very clear. Notice what he says. Leave your Bible open right here. He, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Being accepted is not something I earn. It's not something that I can can work up to. Being accepted is not based upon my performance as a person. It's not based on my performance as anything. It's based on the fact that he said yes to me before I ever said yes to him. It is based on the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for me. It's the fact that he received me. He accepted me and he accepts you. The fact that he atoned for our sins. You see, ladies and gentlemen, none of us in our sin because we are worthy of God's wrath and God's condemnation. John 3, he's very clear. He says that it is not so much that God's wrath and condemnation is going to come to the sinner. He says, but we are already as sinners already condemned. Because the wrath of God already abides over us. As a sinner. But ladies and gentlemen, hear me carefully this morning. That is exactly the reason Jesus Christ came and he 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 left heaven, and as one preacher said, God the Father bankrupted heaven when he gave Jesus to come to this earth, and he came and lived a sinless perfect life and this is the gospel my dear friend that when he went to the cross, he was not going for his own sins. He was atoning for the sins of every single person who would ever be born. When he hung on that cross those six hours that Friday, he was supernaturally, infinitely atoning for every sin that would ever be committed by anybody who would ever be born. And Isaiah 53 says that God the Father was pleased with that sacrifice. He accepted the payment, the only payment that would be sufficient. The sacrificial life and the shed blood of his dear precious son. That infinite sacrifice could only pay an infinite debt that we owed. He paid that debt for us. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
He traded his riches for our bankruptcy. He gave himself for us. That means he died in our place. He paid the debt that we could not pay. He took our place. And because of what Jesus has done, we now who have trusted in him are accepted in the beloved. The term beloved is a very interesting term. Stay awake and listen carefully, please. It literally is a reference to what God the Father said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, where he is speaking uh, of Jesus when Jesus is baptism by John the Baptist. And it says that God the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's my beloved. If you think back to the Old Testament, to the book of Song of Solomon, that term, my beloved, my beloved, my beloved, my beloved, is used over and over and over again by Solomon, the writer of that poem and that love story. And prophetically, figuratively, it is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the beloved of the Father. Now Paul says, that we, you and I, who at one time were aliens, we were strangers. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. That's describing you and I. But because of, you say, preacher, why you get so excited? I'm telling you, I can't help but get excited when I think about this. That because of Jesus Christ and what he's done, he has made the way open and paved that, that highway to God the Father where you and I now are accepted in the beloved one, Jesus Christ. That tells me that God the Father, hear me now, God the Father now treats us just like he treated his dear beloved son. You are not an outcast. <laughs> You, you say, preacher, you don't understand what I've done. Oh, friend, you don't understand what we've all done. <laughs> he placed all of that on the darling Lamb of God as our substitute and sacrifice. If you are in Him, you are accepted in the Beloved. So here's an action step. Number one, receive it. There are individuals sitting right here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ. You have an idea that if you work hard enough, you can somehow earn it. You have a notion that if you do enough good you can somehow merit it or deserve it. It's the idea of the old scales and the weights and balances and that all of our sins are, are put on this side of the scale. But man, I mean, boy, that's a heavy weight. But, 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 if we do enough good, if we do uh, one good thing for every one bad thing that we've ever done, that maybe we can do enough good where in the record books of heaven we can, we can somehow balance that scale out. I want you to hear me, my dear friend. 
because of how infinitely wicked and sinful our sin is. There's no way if we live a million lifetimes, there's no way we could ever atone, we could ever atone for our sins ourselves. That's why Isaiah is very clear where he says all of our righteousnesses, all of the best that we could ever do is like filthy putrefying rags compared to the holiness of our infinite God. My dear friend, God didn't give us his word and he didn't give us the gospel and Jesus didn't come down on the cross just so we could add what he's done to what we've done. My dear friend, Jesus has given us the gospel and Jesus came and sacrificed himself and Jesus rose again on the third day so that because there's nothing we can do to get ourselves to heaven. Nothing in my hand I bring, remember? Simply, simply, only to the cross I cling. My hope is built on nothing less Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I wholly, completely lean only on one thing, my dear precious friend, and that's on Jesus' name. Because it is not by works of righteousness which any of us can do. It is all by his mercy and grace that we're saved. When we get to heaven one day my dear friend we get to heaven and as somebody said one time there will be no strutters in heaven there will be nobody strutting around because they got there in heaven and the presence of God based on what they've done friend it's all because of Jesus accept that receive him today oh friend stop trying to earn it you can't stop trying to Reform yourself. You can't. Stop trying to do good that outweighs the bad. You can't, and I can't either. There's only one logical thing for us to do, and for you to do, and for me to do, and that is to come to Jesus just as I am and say, Lord, you know what I am. I am a sinner. My only claim is you. My only hope is Christ. That's it. He's our only hope. He's all we have. But how many of you know? He's all we need. Receive him. There's a second truth this morning. Not only our acceptance is all made possible by the work and merit of Jesus alone, but number two, our acceptance should inspire us to bring great glory and praise to God. That's why he says in verse 6, hey, I love this, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Adam Clark said, by the giving of the law, God's justice and holiness were rendered most glorious. But by the giving of the gospel, listen, His grace and mercy are made equally conspicuous and clear. One writer said, It is to show that divine grace is not a weak, shallow attitude, but one of glorious riches 
deserving infinite praise. Listen, the idea of richness, fullness, abundance of God's grace is prominent throughout the New Testament. God desires to draw attention not only to this attribute, but to the boundlessness of this attribute. In other words, not just drawing attention to the grace of God, but drawing attention to how glorious and how boundless and how abundant and overflowing the grace of God is. The writer went on to say, thus to draw the love and confidence of you and I as God's creatures, drawing us to God and inspire within us a desire to imitate Him. That's a lot of wordage, but here's, let me tell you what, it, what he's saying. He's saying that God, in his infinite gloriousness, wanted you and I to be captivated by his grace. Oh, friend, yes, we praise God for all of his attributes, but oh, dear friend, do not be dissuaded. Do not be discouraged. Don't be deceived that one of the chief attributes of God is his grace and his kindness. Oh, the glorious riches of the grace of Christ. One said our union to the beloved as our participating in all the blessedness of his purchase. Our becoming heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, further illustrates the glorious riches of his grace. Charles Ellicott said God's essential glory is best manifested in his grace. That he declares his almighty power most chiefly in showing mercy and pity. I declare to you today that our glorious God is revealed as even more glorious and more majestic. When even though he is high, holy and lifted up. He stoops down and stoops low to where we are to give and extend grace to us. Listen carefully in Exodus thirty-three eighteen. Remember what Moses prayed? He prayed that God would show him his glory. And in verse 19, God responded by saying, I will make my goodness to pass before you. Can you see the direct link between God's gloriousness and his goodness and grace? In other words, God's glory is most radiantly expressed through his grace. And we ought to shout and give God glory for that. That ought to inspire a holy joy deep down inside of your soul and mine. Is there any wonder, friend, then that the golden text of the Bible is John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Are we surprised at all that the national anthem of the church is amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Are we even surprised by that? When we are made aware of how glorious His grace is. So if the first action step was receive, this next action step is rejoice. Rejoice, dear friends. Have we lost our celebration of the goodness of God? Have we lost the praise on our lips and the adoration for our great King? I'm not just talking about here at church, but I am talking about here at church. So often, I'm afraid not. Listen, I don't want us to be a church that starts at 1030 sharp and ends at 
11.45 dull. My dear friend, there's nothing wrong with giving praise and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. I'm afraid we've lost our praise and we've lost our shout. We've let some label or title or whatever fear, intimidation of man rob us from giving glory to God. But not just in the church house. How about at your house? Did your wife, sir, ever hear you just praise the Lord and say, you know what, thank God. Your kids notice in us, in you, do they notice in you positivity and praise to the Lord? Or is everything always just negative, negative, negative? Oh, dear friend, rejoice in the graciousness and gloriousness of his grace. And then I close with this. Now, don't tune me off. Don't, 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 don't flip that switch. Our acceptance is revealed in the favor that God calls us to overflow in our lives. You know what the word accepted literally means? It's a word that refers to the fact that his grace and favor has been bestowed upon us and now overflows in our lives. It means that we've been treated with special honor. It means that he has made us objects of his grace. I'm talking about you, friend. Yeah, but Christian, you don't know how much I've blown it in my life. Welcome to the rest of the world. It's the same verb used in Luke 1.27 where the angel refers to Mary as being highly favored. He's blessed us with spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's chosen us. He's adopted us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. So the last action word is rest. Receive. Rejoice. And child of God this morning, rest. Rest in that. Rest your weary mind, heart, and soul. Stop trying to measure up because you can't and I can't either. Jesus doesn't want you to measure up. You see, the effort to measure up is a man-centered effort. That's the very reason he came to begin with. There is no measuring up apart from his grace and merits alone. He wants you to stop trying and start trusting. He wants you in your Christian life to stop running like a lab rat on the spinning wheel and start resting fully in him like an exhausted person falls in a bed or a chair. Reject perfectionism. Reject comparisons. Reject a checklist approach to the Christian life. Some of us are beating ourselves up, running ourselves ragged, and living out of nothing but duty and obligation. And because of that, we are joyless, loveless, passionless, and lifeless in our spiritual experience. All because we need to rest 
in the truth that is already ours in Christ Jesus. You are accepted in the beloved. That doesn't discount our sanctification as we talked about last Sunday night. That doesn't discount our desire to love him and serve him and please him. Oh, my dear friend, but we don't work. We don't do those things in order that we might measure up. We love him and we serve him because, listen carefully, he's already made us accepted in the beloved. It's a fountain from which we serve, from which we love. It's out of the overflow of the abundance of His graciousness that He's poured over us. We get to live in that. No wonder Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come unto me, listen to that invitation. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, Jesus Christ is not a cruel, harsh taskmaster or slave driver. He's not standing by you with a bat in one hand and a hammer in the other hand. Jesus isn't simply the boss who only cares about your job performance. Oh, friend, he is your savior, your father, your all in all. He is our complete sufficiency. And all the church said, amen about that. So rest in that. Let your life today and your life this week be lived from that position. You are already accepted in the beloved. Rest in that this morning. Those of you here today that need Jesus Christ, would you receive that? Would you say yes to him who said yes to the cross for you? Would you turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ as your only, your only Lord, your only Savior? Child of God, would you rejoice in that? Would you pray today, oh God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation.